In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Real. It's about the people. This is Silicon Real, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I host London Real, which is a similar kind of show, same studio. We get some people in the room, try to figure a few things out. We had the one and only uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson here uh, last week, astrophysicist, all around super cool dude. He put me in a headlock after the show. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, we've is had that your first headlock? Um, he was a really big dude. You know? <laughs> and I wrestled in high school and I do a little bit of that in my... But he was big. He, was he would have been really hard, a tough fight. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He knew what he was doing, I think. So, um, yeah, we left friends, so that was good. So uh, you check that out if you want. It's at LondonReal.tv. But we're here to talk about tech this week. My co-host is entrepreneur Colin Pyle, who uh, runs online language schools. Uh, the coffee's coming soon. Uh, what's going on with you? Yeah, it's been a good week, man. It's, uh, you know, moving forward. It's got 100,000 Nespresso-compatible organic 100% Arabica coffee coming next week so that's awesome uh, fingers crossed it doesn't get like stuck somewhere you know <laughs> it's just like everything's uh, we've had a lot of things just bad luck so I'm just hoping it to be fair if you're arrive. the world's first coffee heist then yeah. that's something to put on your CV as well so, yeah, yeah it's true I, that would be terrible why'd you have to bring that up <laughs> Coffee heist. Coffee yeah. heist. Yeah. It's not. No, it's not worth enough money. No. No. Cool. I can't wait to uh, try yeah. those, man. Really yeah. No. To that. It's exciting. So. Awesome. Um, yeah. Cool. Before we get to our guests, I just wanted to thank uh, TaskRabbit, um, which are one of our sponsors. They're at an online marketplace that allow you to outsource small jobs and tasks uh, to people in your neighborhood. You can do anything. They can have someone clean your house for you, fix your car, or even do like back-end work for Silicon Real. So yeah. they've been really helping us out a lot with that. Yeah, they've been doing amazing. And again, it's, uh, it's incredible, actually, sort of the, the wide range of sort of stuff they can do and services they offer. So uh, if you you know need a little bit of help, just throw it out there and, and see if see if someone's able to do it. Yeah, it's awesome. Their head of community, Lauren Sherman, was on here about a month ago. We're welcoming them to London, so uh, check them out. You can get a free twenty five pounds worth of service. Use the code Real twenty five. Go to uh, TaskRabbit.co.uk. Um, so check them out, and also uh, FinTech Innovation Lab. They're about to uh, give them give us their debut class. It's coming out March twenty sixth. They got seven companies that have been over there in Level thirty nine and Canary Wharf tinkering away. And uh, if you want to. Uh, Check them out as an investor. You can go to that uh, on March 26th, right? Yeah, send them an email. Yeah, if you're it's an a fintech at Accenture.com, and uh, you can check it out. You know, very excited what's going on with those guys. So. Yeah, I'm excited to sort of get some more of those guests on because they just have an amazing cohort. And uh, we had one of them on a few few months back, Pixelpin. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, we'll get we'll get a few more on uh, after. And after Digital Shadows was one of their ones from the previous from years. The previous Didn't you year. beat Digital Shadows in one of your awards? We're, we're going to get oh. to that. We're going to get to that. So, uh, anyways, <laughs> uh, just thanks to fintech, um, we'll be keeping you updated with those companies. Um, now to our guests, which is uh, Jenny Griffiths, who is the founder and CEO of Snap Fashion, uh, which is a visual search engine uh, that allows customers to search for fashion items using images instead of words. That's right. You use, I believe, a unique algorithm to find a similar 
items uh, from over 100 uh, retailers here in the UK online. Um, You have won a few awards yourself. You've beat out Digital Shadows, I think. Um, I think you won $175,000 award from Cisco Big. In, yeah, that's right. In 2012. I don't bring that up with Digital Shadows anymore. Though. <laughs> well, they're still surviving. So. It's true. They're, they're all they're good. Alistair's doing, doing, doing good. Yeah, they're yeah. doing good. But they probably could have been doing better if I mean, Jenny wasn't around. 175 grand. That's a good, yeah. good chunk of change. You've also, I think, won the, the decoded fashion startup pitch. You probably won some more. Uh, Jenny, welcome to Silicon Real. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, uh, it's so good to have you here. You know, we... We've been doing this show 35 weeks now, and we've never had anyone from fashion on or fashion tech. I don't even know what fashion tech means. I don't even know what the industry's like. So maybe before we start talking exactly about snap fashion, you could tell us what the state of the union is now in fashion tech here in London and around the world. Brilliant. Okay. So fashion tech is becoming a really kind of hot space in startups, definitely. Um, When I started doing it, it was about four or five years ago, and it was a bit outlandish that someone was looking at kind of moving technology into the fashion space. But now it's a really kind of thriving community. You've got people doing great things like um, Chloe Digital does a load of kind of coding initiatives around getting people into fashion technology, and you've got some really, really good brands starting up. So in London, it's a particularly kind of hot topic. Um, When you go over to the States, I was over there uh, last week, and it's very much the kind of New York scene. So okay. if you want to go abroad to do fashion tech, then New York's definitely the place to go. Is it usually a capital city thing for, for, for fashion? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I think everyone gravitates towards where the um, fashion shows are held. So I know Milan's also a really kind of strong area for fashion tech in Paris. So, yeah, I think it's about going to where the fashion communities are and then also where kind of developers will want to live. And it tends to concentrate in those areas. It must be a case. I remember like back in the early tech days, like in the late 90s, there was all these great plans about buying, you know, tennis shoes online and buying it. And just like the tech wasn't ready or it just yeah. it was it were, they were dreams, but it wasn't it wasn't really going to happen back then, was it? No, it's true. And I think that we're still a bit in that space. So the reason I started um, Snap Fashion was I realized that everyone suddenly had a camera in their pocket and it seemed like the absolute perfect time to launch visual search for fashion. But when it comes to other things in the fashion tech space, like um, virtualizing people trying on outfits and doing that kind of augmented reality stuff, I do think that we're still a bit of a way towards getting that really kind of smooth user experience that people want. Okay. All right, let's talk Snap Fashion then. People come to your website or they download your app. What are they going to be able to do? That's a very good question. Um, I'm all for <laughs> answering it. Um, okay, so on the app side, you can basically take a photo of anything and it will find you similar things. So we've got one app called Snap Color Pop, which is take a photo of any color. It searches over half a million items and basically spits you back everything in that kind of shade and you can just scroll through, see what you want to buy. So if you want to match like a purple with a purple this or... Exactly, like you just bought a dress and you want to find a pair of shoes to match, that kind of thing. Loads of people take photos of their dogs, which I always find quite weird, but there you go. They, people might they, be they want to buy clothes that matching match their dogs. dogs to outfits. <laughs> they want to match their dog to their outfit. I don't see why not. Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. <laughs> and then Snap Fashion is a bit more experimental on the technology side, but it's kind of the cutting edge bit of visual search that we're working on. So it's all about um, finding cut matches and color matches and texture matches. So you can take a photo of an item of clothing in a magazine, on a catwalk, in a shop window, and then we'll try and find you everything similar on the high street. So they're the two apps, and the website's really similar. We've just got a little bookmarklet that you can put on your books, bookmarks bar and then literally grab any image off any website and start shopping from it. 
Okay. We always ask, like, what have you done and what are you planning to do? So can you give us a quick... Because I love how she makes it sound so simple. Like, we had the guys from Halo here, and I was like, your app is really simple. And he was just like, we've got 50 engineers that make it simple. Because your idea sounds so simple, but it must be so hard to implement. Yeah, and it's actually one of the problems that we face with Snap, because it sounds so blatantly obvious. The question I always get asked is, why isn't Google doing this already? Which is a good question. And then you also get, well, it seems really simple. So if I get a shoe returned in um, heels with the flats, then why is this happening? It's outrageous. So it's one of those things that is actually a really hard problem in computer vision. Um, So my background's computer science, not fashion. So I kind of wrote the algorithms at university and took us about five years to get them to where they are today. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been quite a tough road, but we're looking to move into kind of doing men's fashion and moving into other verticals as well, which I have to keep secret. But, um, okay. yeah, we're yeah. also going to launch um, a few products this year in partnership with a few more brands. So we're definitely increasing our reach. And where do you want to be? I mean, what is the, what is the goal? It sounds a bit grand, but I want to be like the Google of visual search. So I want to be like, if anyone sees something, they kind of reach for Snap to go and find it. So we're starting off in fashion, but I think there are so many areas in consumer visual search that are really kind of crying out for for an application it's one of those things where because everyone's carrying around a camera and when we're all walking around we're using those tiny little keyboards and it just seems really backwards that that's the way that we're still operating so i just want to be able to search the world using pictures are you still using the same tech that you developed years ago yes we've added to it but the core algorithms are still the same so um yeah it feels a bit weird that my university product turned into this business i'm running today and the final question I usually ask people is, why do you think you guys will win in this space after, you know, compared to the Googles or, yeah. or, or to the Americans? I mean, you know, because what you're doing is, I mean, if you're thinking about it, it's not just fashion. I mean, this could be anything. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, there are loads of um, people cropping up as well, like different competitors. And I think where Snaps, we were the first to market with this technology and we're still the only people that can do kind of cut analysis and a cross-platform visual search. So... I think one of the reasons for our success is being really, really lean with the team and we haven't raised too much money and we've all got our responsibilities and everyone kind of owns their little bit of the business. Um, I think that's been really kind of key to us being quick and first. Um, but then going forward, I think our success is going to come from like commercial partnerships and making sure that we partner with the right people. So we're not reinventing the wheel. We're not trying to compete against people who are ahead of us at this moment. It's all about just finding the right people to work with and accelerate both of our technologies alongside each other. So partnerships, I just read today, yeah. you did a partnership with Westfield. Yeah, that's true. I wasn't expecting that to come out today. No? So I'm not sure how much I'm allowed to say. But, Break, um, breaking news. Breaking news. Yeah. So Westfield, if you're not from London, Westfield is probably the largest. They have a pair now in London of yeah. proper shopping malls. It's yeah. an American company, isn't it? Yeah, Australia. that's right. I think yeah. it's Australian. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, they yeah. know what they're doing when it comes yeah. to malls. And mm. London never had malls up until a few years ago, right? It's true. And now they have these mega ones. Yeah. They're and, insanely big. Yeah. yeah. I, my yeah. head spins in Shepherd's Bush. I was in California over the holidays yeah. visiting my dad in Palm yeah. Springs. They have a Westfield in Palm Springs. Oh, okay. really? Strange. I was like, that's weird. So anyways, back to the partnership. Yeah. So maybe you could just touch on how that works and yeah. what, what, you know, why they would want to partner with you and, and why you'd want to partner with them. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, what you said really kind of encapsulates the Westfield experience for some people, which is just your head spins when you get in there and there's all of this choice and it's great news because you know that your outfit's in there. It's just 
can be a bit mind-boggling to start searching. Um, because you might not you might not have the energy to find it. Exactly. Like I can go to five stores and I'm done. That place yeah. is crazy. And there are hundreds of stores there. But men yeah. go to buy, women go to shop. That's what's very right. different. That's the second part of my interview. <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off. You were saying. But yeah, I mean, when I go to Westfield, it's normally for a reason like I've got a friend's wedding coming up and I need to find an outfit and you're kind of lacking that inspiration and you know that you've got to find a dress and you don't quite know what you're looking for. And what Westfield wanted to do was kind of give people that inspiration before they hit the stores. So they came to us because they wanted to do it kind of really visually and tying in their stylist content with opening up literally the whole of Westfield to have an online experience. So I can't say too much, but they use Snap's technology to kind of let you build shopping lists at home so that when you hit the shops, you're kind of armed with what the stylists think you should be wearing and then also where you can buy it in your budget. So. Mm. Yeah. So you might be able to take take a picture of something you want, upload it to this, and then be told where to go in Westfield? Yeah, it's slightly different to that. Okay. Um, I can't give away the That's secret right. sauce. But, um, We're not prying. It's, it's more about kind of stylist inspiration and then finding it in store rather than you finding your inspiration yourself. So. Okay. Cool. Can you walk us through this this Cisco uh, competition you won? And you know, it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot of publicity. Yeah. Do you get do you get in touch with the Cisco people as well? Of course, we were at a gig together the other week. So um, yeah, it's. I mean, Cisco was absolutely crazy for us, and I think it was one of the turning points in the business, definitely, because um, we actually launched our first product the day before we entered the big awards, um, and then we had the kind of awards ceremony, and we had to give our presentation. It was very kind of Dragon's Den style. Um, and then we ended up winning it, which really shocked me because there were some amazing businesses in there, like um, Digital Shadows was one of them, and then people doing kind of video messaging, and there was such a diverse range of businesses. Um, and yeah, I was expecting it to be kind of prize with a few strings attached, and genuinely Cisco have been so open to helping Snap. So they've been helping us get press coverage and um, kind of take us under their wing, helping us get commercial introductions and... Yeah, they've been so supportive, I couldn't believe it. So. But they didn't take an equity stake in the company? They didn't, no. Um, it was a cheque for $100,000 um, and then $100,000 worth of support. So we got um, PR from Union Street um, and then marketing from DNX and then legal from Bird and Bird. So it's like they thought about all of the weak points that a digital business would have and tried to kind of fill them in for us. So. Yeah, it really helped kickstart it. Is the office space, is that part of the deal too? Yeah, that's, well, it wasn't meant to be part of the deal, right. but I was a bit cheeky and asked and they <laughs> said yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's called Ideal London and it's um, Cisco working with UCL and DC Thompson. And they've each nominated different companies to be in the space. So um, Cisco companies are kind of us. They've got Wittos who do in-store kind of analytics, um, social gaming group who do um, Twitter campaigns. So... We're not companies that compete, but we kind of complement each other. There's Smartser in there as well, who does um, shopping from videos. So cool. it's quite nice to be sharing space with people that you don't have to be too cagey around, but you're kind of hitting similar problems at the same time. It's I've heard the cool. coffee there is amazing. It's amazing coffee. <laughs> so Omni shambles. I know. <laughs> um, what did you spend the $100,000 on? Um, we spent it on people mainly, and we also used it to kind of keep the business running for a bit longer so we didn't have to raise investments. So I'd love to say that I kind of hired a Corvette and drove across America, but I'm fairly boring in that way. But um, yeah, we beefed up the tech team, so we've got a few front-end developers working for us now. And we also invested a bit in kind of PR and marketing as well to kind of get our brand out there. And in, re in retrospect, why do you think you won the competition? 
Oh, don't, don't make me do that. I mean, I'm, just, um, <laughs> I'm trying to visualize Jenny's presentation. Though. Sure. I'm like, what did you get up and say? I mean, yeah. you can describe the technology really simply, but anyone can have this idea. But you must have shown them that you could implement it. It's true. I think what really made us stand out on the day was that we gave a live demo. And it's always really, really scary giving a live demo. But you say, like, we can find fashion from a photo, and you take a photo and it finds something similar. And people either think, yeah, that's kind of obvious, or she's a bit nuts and they don't really believe me so we stood up gave a live demo of the products and I think that's when people kind of took a step back and went I've never seen anything like that before so that was probably the moment um and yeah just lucky I guess the aha moment they had for you that's because I've used Google's so Google has like an image yeah search, that's right um before and uh it's pretty average um, yeah. So I just may, maybe jump into that and just out of curiosity, what what are you doing differently than, than what they're yeah. doing? Google are absolutely amazing at doing image search on like hard objects and okay. stuff that you can extract metadata from. So things like buildings and okay. wine bottles, DVDs, and you kind of grab information from that and then you can help it kind of supplement the visual search. So you're searching not necessarily the picture, but the metadata in yeah, the picture? Yeah, exactly. There's okay. a bit of that. There's a bit of visual search. They, so they right. kind of mix up all of these different ways of searching and they package it up into something that works really strongly on buildings and those kind of things. Okay. If you snap on a building, it would be awful. So where we started was doing real, pure visual search, and I literally wrote algorithms just for fashion. So I spent ages analysing kind of what the different features are of different items of clothing and looking at what it is that would make those algorithms really, really tailored for that. Hmm. So spending five years just looking at the difference between shorts and skirts, I think, has kind of made us approach it in a completely different way to Google and a few of the other kind of startups cropping up at the moment. So, yeah, I think that's where we're standing apart. But Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. So you're essentially taking the difference between, you know, a long sleeve T-shirt and a short sleeve T-shirt, yeah, putting exactly. it into code yeah. on the non-techie, as yeah. you can see, and then so that the codes can match up against... Yeah, exactly. And, and so where do you pull all the data from to match it up against yeah. what someone uploads? We've got partnerships with about 170 UK retailers. So we yeah. wanted to be sure that people are kind of opting into the system because obviously you're having your brands displayed alongside other brands and it's of benefit, but some people get a bit kind of edgy about it. Yeah. So, yeah, we basically just pull in all of their data feeds every morning and they're the kind of feeds that they're giving already to fashion bloggers and people like that. So there's no overhead for them to be on the system and right. they don't pay unless we make a sale. So it's a really nice kind of platform to try out with all the different retailers. And they're, the, the data and the images that they're giving you, they're good enough to match with your algorithms? Yeah, they're great. They're I mean, that's one of the really good things about um, the way that online shopping's gone and the way that kind of fashion blogging's taken off is that people really want to have the best product images online. Right. And it really does help us out. So if they're on white backgrounds, no models, it's kind of the perfect shot for us to be able to match against. No models? I know. That's the last thing the she wants. Models she wants product, right? <laughs> um, you know, well, the, the, we call this show Silicon Real, so we, we like to ask some real questions. So yeah. um, we're going to hit you with a few. That was a good question you asked about Google search. You know, for me, the ultimate bottleneck when it comes to fashion, buying fashion online, is that I'm not there to try it on. Yeah. And sooner or later, you're going to have to come to that. I mean, you obviously get them to the products. So yeah. you've probably solved a big chunk in the meantime. But still, like for me, like T-shirts and jeans i mean those are like impossible almost unless you're in the yeah. store so how do you how do you fight that ultimate bottleneck that that maybe without that virtual technology we're not ready for yeah it's true i mean for me like as a woman you're so used to buying stuff and taking it back that you're constantly like going oh that looks good can't be bothered to change my really long key i'll just buy it and i'll take it back later so 
for me, the biggest bottleneck in online shopping is what does the fabric feel like? Like if you're going to spend £70 on a dress, £200 on a pair of shoes, you really want to get a sense of what it feels like. And I think that's why people are buying so much stuff online and then take it straight back. So there's a few things you can do, like we try and have price filters and you can set kind of tags to say these are my favourite retailers that I trust. But I'm really looking forward to the person who solves the problem of what does this fabric actually feel like and be interesting to see if that's through 3D printing or... Yeah, I, I just can't see that as a problem that we can solve in the next decade. So, so is that not a bottleneck for you right now? Are you, are you not finding that that's a problem? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a problem in the sense that when people, when we make a sale, if people take it back, then we lose the commission. Um, but for me, I'm really, really keen to just become that tool that people discover fashion from. So if you're snapping something in a shop window, you see that it's available in Topshop. If someone goes next door to buy it, I really don't mind that I've lost out on the commission. I just like the fact that people are kind of using Snap and interacting with it. So if my, my personal mission with Snap isn't to make a load of money. It's kind of to get people searching the world visually and then kind of make sure that we're enhancing their consumer experience. And right. yeah, You're, She's looking at WhatsApp business model where they're not trying to make anything <laughs> and then they get yeah. scooped up, right? So you just want people to use the technology and keep coming back to you. Yeah, I mean, the way that we monetize Snap at the moment, it's great if we make affiliate sales. And to be honest, affiliate is all a numbers game. So the more people who are using Snap, the more likely they are to buy through it. And we kind of bring, build up that rapport with them. And that's kind of in the long term how our revenues will be flowing. Um, but doing things like partnerships and just generally helping users get engaged in online shopping, I think when we're playing the long game, it's going to be how the company kind of grows in value. Okay. You were recently in America. Now, I don't yes. know what you were doing over there, but <laughs> you, you must be thinking about America as a market. You must be yeah. thinking about the way the Americans tend to scale in a big way. Yeah. Is this something that that you're going to need to, are you going to need to go to America? Are you learning something from them or do you just going to keep doing the things that, that you're doing here? Yeah. I mean, I always laugh with people in England about it because every investment pitch ends with, and we're going to take our technology to America. And I swear that everyone around Silicon Roundabout says it. So, um, we had a company in recently said they weren't going to America. Really? Who was it? It was some, I don't know. Anyway, I'll remember, but, but go ahead. <laughs> well, they said they didn't need to, but yeah. I think it was Busu, actually. Yeah, Busu, language company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they said, okay. they yeah. said well, yeah, they're doing everything from here. They yeah. don't need yeah. to be there physically. But. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'd really like to keep the development team in England, and I think that we don't need to physically be in America on the kind of dev side of things. I think business development-wise, it really helps to have someone on the ground over there because when you're looking to do partnerships with the big fashion brands in America or with the technology brands, you definitely have to be there in person. So... I was over in California um, for two weeks and just the meetings that we had just accelerated the process so much. So my plan is to work from London and then kind of once a course to go over to America and kind of meet up with cool companies and try and get some relationships going over there. And will you be looking for venture cap over there as well? I'm not at the moment. Um, you guys haven't raised venture cap, have you, in the past? No, I mean, we're kind of informally raising at the moment and looking at doing a Series A, but um, we're actually breaking even as a company, so... We're in that strange phase where we're ticking along really nicely. Um, we're not pumping money into marketing. I think we spent a thousand pounds on letting people know about Snap. So, um, yeah, we're trying to just do it through partnerships and keep it kind of fairly organic for now. Already but, breaking even. That's incredible. How many yeah. users do you have? Um, we've had about a quarter of a million to date, and we've got about kind of ten to twelve thousand regular users a month. So, and where is where do you find that distribution? Um, it's mostly web, actually, which really okay. shocked me. Um, huh, so, not mobile. Yeah, um, I think it's because people are still at that phase where they're happy to browse on the 
mobile, but they're not quite comfortable enough to buy on it. And everyone goes, it's because of security. And it's like, it's really no less yeah. secure on mobile than it is on web. But yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. buy Amazon on my mobile. I always mm. want to be at a computer mm. for some reason. Yeah, there's that weird social barrier that we've got at the moment. And I think it's beginning to kind of break down. And we're seeing a slow shift towards mobile usage. But web is definitely the best platform for us at the moment. And heavily UK-based? Yeah, we've only launched oh, in the UK. Available. So okay. we've limited it on the App Store to the UK. And okay. we're launching in Singapore later on this year, which will be really cool to try out in that market. Why Singapore? Um, we were approached by Singtel, um, who okay. are a telecoms company over there. Um, and they also do kind of media provision and that kind of thing. So um, they heard about Snap and wanted to run a trial. So hmm. yeah, we'll it's be in Singapore go. and then hopefully the rest of Asia by the end of the year. So, How many staff do you have? Uh, there's a grand total of four of us full time and then seven kind of all together. So. What could, I mean, you, you know how to run a lean operation. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a you lean know, startup. And I think great. it's something some people could learn from you as far as, I'm sure you've been times where you're like, ah, if we doubled the employees, I could do X, Y, and Z. But you know, you, yeah. but you, you, know you, you obviously don't run your organization that way. Have you been conflicted in the past? Yeah, I'm normally conflicted when I've worked a 20-hour day and I'm going, <laughs> why am I doing this to myself? But um, I mean, there are, I really, really like running a lean startup because I think people feel really empowered in their own kind of job role and they're really owning that bit and I don't like to interfere. But um, you do get bitten by it once in a while when um, you normally say to investors, well, we've done this with seven people and imagine if you invested. But then they can look at other companies who have had three million investments, a tech team of 19, and that automatically seems a bit more threatening even though we've achieved slightly more or in different areas. So I think there's definitely a balance to be had on being lean but also putting out that projection of we're not just seven people in a room like you can trust us and we're a good company to work with especially when it comes to commercial partnerships as well it's kind of proving that working with such a small company is kind of a, a good thing for them to do yeah, it's weird. I mean, when you hear the number of staffs, you, you make all these preconceived assumptions, don't you? Yeah, someone came in, in for a meeting the other day and they went, oh, where are the rest of the team? I thought you had about 50. I was like, nope, it's just us. It's fine. But I'm also notoriously stingy, so people have laughed at me for that all my life, so I'm hoping it's paying off now. I get a frugal feeling from Jenny, you know? There we go. She's like, she runs it's like awesome. a serious shop there. I buy awesome presents for people, but apart from that... <laughs> is that why you started your visual search with fashion because you're always searching for the best deal yeah exactly <laughs> I'm, I was properly shopping on a stu- student budget at the time and I just didn't get why I was always going to the same shop so if I wanted to buy something cheap I was always going to Primark if I was kind of treating myself I'd go into like Topshop, Zara, Mango and I kind of got myself into this style rut in a way and then you read fashion magazines and you see all these amazing brands that you didn't know existed. So, yeah, it just seemed like a really good way of discovery and on the cheap. So. Yeah. And when you, when you travel to the States, what, what, do you, what kind of vibe do you get over there? Or what do you see that you, you wish that we could replicate more in London? And what do you see that you think that, that we do much better than they do? It's such a different vibe over there. Um, I think the biggest difference is in startup founders because I've kind of got by being myself kind of fairly laid back and calm don't really speak that loudly in interviews um whereas the founders over in america are proper showmen and i'm always blown away by it because they stand up there and they talk about these amazing things that their company are doing and then by the end of the presentation you're kind of like on your feet thinking i've got to invest in these people (laughs) and i'm not sure if you're over in america for long enough you probably get a bit blind to it but as an english person going over there it really kind of opened my eyes into how polished American startups are. It's really impressive. So trying to learn a bit from them in that sense and not change who I am, but just be a bit more kind of 
willing to broadcast the stuff that we've done and not kind of skirt over our achievements as much. Um, but yeah, things that I think the UK do well, I think that we're a bit more frugal because we know that investment is harder to get and we really kind of value the contacts that we have as well. So yeah, I think that we're all a bit kind of more scared over here, but that might not necessarily be a bad thing. Did you find that you were hearing so many pitches that you were almost exhausted? Because we've talked about that, like the, the drink about over here is very casual and people yeah. can kind of hang out and, and, you know, I would just imagine in the valley or the alley where, you know, everyone's just hitting you with the pitch, you know, left <laughs> and right. And like after a while your head's spinning because everyone's got the pitch that's yeah. going to change your life, you know, for every single company. Yeah, it's true. Um, I was waiting for someone to say something negative at some point and it just didn't happen for two weeks. <laughs> so, um, a negative yeah. at all or about their company? or Yeah, just everyone's like, talking about how really great everyone time. is. Yeah. And it's really, really nice. To, it's so refreshing going over there for two weeks and it kind of really lifts your spirits. But I imagine if you're immersed in it for too long, you begin to get a bit jaded and overpitched, definitely. And do you think you could um, hire better in, in Silicon Alley or would it be harder? Or, or the alley yeah. or the valley? Um, I think... Some of the problems that I'm coming across recruiting in the UK is that people don't see startups as a kind of viable career path. And I think that's definitely changed over the past couple of years, but we've still got a very long way to go compared to what they're doing over in Silicon Alley and Valley. So when you say, like, we're a small startup, we're growing, people normally think that's a lot of risk. So you have problems kind of attracting the best talent. So there's probably that advantage to being in the Valley, but obviously kind of salaries over there are fairly insane and people expect a lot when they join a startup so I guess if things aren't really taking off after a year you probably lose your key staff more quickly so yeah I think it swings and roundabouts that one. And how do you recruit now? Really badly. Um, you, you we're spend hiring. 60% of your time <laughs> recruiting? That's what Saul Klein from Index Ventures says that yeah. the moshy monster people should do. 60% yeah. of your time. I really wish I could because finding the right people for the company is so important especially when we're so small and I hate the phrase, but we're really trying to build up that kind of company culture of this is what we want Snap to be when we grow. So, um, yeah, I spend so much time trying to meet people, um, convincing them that we're not a fashion company. I'm really going to change my company name for that one because <laughs> trying to attract developers when your name is Snap Fashion is an uphill struggle, definitely. What, they don't want to work for a fashion company? Surprisingly not. Okay. <laughs> um, what, do they, what do they think you do? Um, most people think that we're a fashion design company hmm. or that kind of thing. So normally when I speak to male developers, I'm like, we're Snap Technology, really. We've just got a fashion kind of facing. Yeah, she calls it Snap. If you heard, she yeah. just calls it yeah, Snap. It's, yeah. it's true. She's I'm losing the fashion. Getting there. It's good. Rebranding. And what are you hiring for at the moment? Uh, web developers, app developers, user experience designers. So really, really trying go. to build out the team. And yeah. how do they get in, get in touch with you? Uh, jobs at snapfashion.co.uk or tweet me. So... Yeah. And is, the, is that talent to be found on the outer reaches of the European Union, in your, in your opinion? Yeah, um, it's a really interesting one. We've got a job advert out on Stack Overflow at the moment, and not one person from the UK has applied. So I really I think it's great that we're being able to get all of the talent from the European Union and that we don't have issues with visas and that kind of thing. But I do find it strange that no one in the UK is applying for any jobs, as far as I can see. So It's all going just too well. Yeah, but... <laughs> Like, developers are great wherever they're from. I mean, being able to speak code is just one of those things that you've either got or you don't have. So just being able to find the best talent from all across Europe, I think, is a really kind of strong draw for London and being based here. And these other awards you've won, I mean, you've won, like, tons of awards. Like, yeah. I, on your LinkedIn profile, there's, like, seven <laughs> awards. I was like, come on, Jenny. 
what are you doing? I mean, what, 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 how do you win all these awards? You said you didn't apply for any of them? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was me being fairly desperate and applying for everything in sight. So, um, I mean, Cisco yeah. was the first one that I entered. No, that's a lie. Um, Tech City um, Launchpad was the first one that I entered with the technology strategy board. And we won £100,000 worth of funding. And that was what actually let me give up my full-time job and join Snap. So that was a really, really good one. And then we kind of went through a phase where I was applying for startup awards and things like being named as Future 50 competition and that kind of thing, just to try and raise our reputation. How do you find all these awards? Because I have no idea. Like, um, is there some Twitter is, is it just Twitter? Yeah, it's just potluck. I mean, the Cisco British Innovation Awards, I was literally just... It was the last day that the competition was right. open and someone tweeted it to me. And I thought... Yeah. Might as well give it a go. Because it just seems like there's so many awards and yeah. incubators and everything like that. It's, it's so true. hard to... There needs to be like an amalgamation of all the yeah. awards that can be won. And and the trouble is, yeah. like, I'm actually trying not to enter awards anymore because it makes it look like all I do is enter awards every day. <laughs> um, and also, we're trying to move out of the phase of being perceived as a startup. I'd like to be seen as a kind of a slightly more established company in a way. Right. So we're trying to move out of the startup awards phase. But yeah, we applied for... TSB, Cisco, Decoded, and then after that, they've just kind of come our way. But like I said earlier, I'm kind of a rare computer scientist female, so I guess we kind of get noticed a bit more because of that. Do you think you'll ever like snap up a company that might have a few employees that will have that missing uh, piece of the puzzle in tech? And do you also think that, that might you might get snapped up in a similar way? Because yeah. you're talking about a, a huge huge issue if it's just an you know, aqua hire is that what it's called these days is that oh those yeah 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 <laughs> acquisition hire yeah but do you think about both both pieces of that puzzle yeah definitely i'm always thinking about both sides because i think i used the phrase earlier but kind of reinventing the wheel is one of those things that everyone's doing every day so i get quite annoyed when you see another startup cropping up and you know the people who already have a similar startup and you're thinking well if you had have just worked together then mm. it would have cut so many corners and the same is beginning to happen in visual search um so there are all these kind of people cropping up and it's it would be really tempting to just go for kind of acquiring someone else or if someone bigger wanted to incorporate Snap then we're always open to it because I mean my mission when I started the company I wasn't looking to kind of get rich or I'm not one of those people who always wanted to run my own business it was this kind of mission to make online discovery easier and if it's a case of if we join another company then we can make that happen then yeah, it could be a really nice outcome for us. Because I'm, I'm sure Google or an Apple or who knows mm. might find this an interesting acquisition. Sure. Yeah, it's all very weird though when you're a startup, it's very cloak and dagger. So you go for these meetings with people and you're like, I'm not sure how to interpret anything that you're saying. And <laughs> right. you end up yeah. reading things into it. Are you trying to it, partner so. me? Steal my stuff? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just... Right. Yeah. Ask me out. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know what's going <laughs> on, right? Yeah. Where, where do you find your competition? What what areas of visual search are they going in? Um, there's a few who have cropped up in fashion recently. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say their names on this, but no, of um, course not. No, and there are a few people like really beginning to crop up, and it's really nice in a way that it validates the market for us sure. and it shows that it's an interesting sector. But um, I do worry that if so many fashion visual search engines crop up, then users are just going to think well, it's a bit of a fad and there are too many of them now so i wonder why why is fashion the place to be in visual search and not yeah. you know like a microphone or or you know like an amazon type product it's true. Right? i mean i think it's quite a glamorous industry right. on the face of it to be involved in and everyone thinks like yeah fashion you'll get all these great freebies and it it's like the most complicated of all oh my goodness. goods you know, you take a picture of this microphone it seems a lot easier to match this yeah. with a product online 
the than reason, to match this, right? Yeah, it's true. I mean, the reason I started doing fashion was I wanted to create a visual search engine for the whole world. And then my professor took me into a room and went, I think you're being a bit ambitious there, Jenny. <laughs> um, and then I just thought about what I personally want to use a visual search engine for. And fashion just seems so obvious because mm. it's one of those things that it's really hard to put your finger on what it is you like about a bit of clothing. So that was my motivation. Um, but now I think it's one of those areas that fashion tech was really heavily invested in about two years ago. And it was really attracting loads of startups to the area. So you've got people like Metel doing kind of virtual trying on and you've got people doing kind of pop-up shops and all these kind of virtual technologies around fashion. So naturally the visual search engineers were going to kind of latch onto that and go, you know what, that's a great industry for us. So now that all the investments is centered on kind of education and FinTech and health tech, it will be interesting to see if visual search starts moving into that sector right. as well, because it's where the money is in a way. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love visual search. I think it's a, a yeah. real move forward for sure. It's, yeah. It makes a lot more sense to take a picture of something and be able to find yeah. something. And I think the way it's going to evolve is because searching the world is such a huge task. I think there are going to be kind of startups in each of the different sectors. And I find like now almost it's a skill in what to what words to actually use in order That's to true. search and find something. Yeah. And so yeah, because there's so much noise out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you you know, you spend like three, four, five, fifteen different phrases trying to, you know, find what you're looking for. Yeah. Whereas it's getting to that point where search is becoming a little bit just difficult. Yeah. yeah. And you need a curator too, which yeah. I think is what you do to a certain extent. Mm. So you, you show them an item and then you want to be suggested other things. Yeah, yeah, it's right. true. There's just so much choice out there and it's great because it means you can basically buy anything online nowadays. And same with if you want to find something out, it's guaranteed to be online. But trying to find it and trying to find all of the best sources of information as well, is, it's getting really tough. So I'm looking forward to the startup as well. He manages to finally condense kind of Twitter and news feeds and all of those things into one kind of reputable stream it will be really interesting and is it only a, i mean do you need to get to the state sooner than later just to even prove it to yourself that you can like scale on this massive way or is that not really necessary can you just perfect the uk market and build it up yeah um i really want to get to the states this year um because i think it's a really interesting market for us and i'd just be gutted if someone beats us to it so um there's a bit of that going on um and also i think that if people are going to notice us and kind of take us seriously as a technology company then I think it's great to be based in the UK, but you definitely need to have a presence in the US. So it's definitely on our roadmap. That and I had two weeks of sunshine, and now I, I want to move there. Back to yeah. Hey, the weather's been great this week. It's true. I can't complain. Yeah. I brought it back with me. So. There we go. <laughs> yeah. What's the uh, biggest mistake that you see startups in London making, say, in the last 12 months? Ooh, that's a good one. I mean, personally, my biggest mistake was taking so long to have the guts to start up my company. So I worked full-time for a company, and don't get me wrong, I loved working for them, and I was a project manager, so I kind of got to learn a lot of skills that I didn't get at university. But it, I do find it a bit gruelling once in a while that Snap could have been out there two years ago, and we'd be far ahead of the competition by now. But um, I think the danger in London in general is there are so many socialising things going on at the moment for within Silicon Roundabout, so there's drinks every night and all these different talks. And if you went to all of them, it'd probably be like a full-time job for about five people. So I think it's, it's being able to be savvy about what you want to engage with and what you don't, and being aware that there are quite a few sharks out there as well, kind of constantly touting for business and putting out some deals which aren't necessarily great for, for founders. What that is it as far as venture cap or investment, shark-wise? Um, it's not so much investment because... 
an investor's job is to kind of invest in the right businesses and get a healthy stake and to be motivated by it. There are a lot of people offering services for equity, which people like accountants and lawyers, and you think, well, it's good if you're doing a completely lean startup and you don't want to raise capital and they're the right people for your business. But the assumption normally is you start talking about your business and they go, that's great, I'll do it for 5%. And yeah, it's it's quite scary when you think about it. If It definitely took me a while to get savvy to it. And you stay away from the social events or try not to do too many? I'm a really anti-social person. <laughs> no, <laughs> not you. <laughs> I'm always working. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there are certain social events that I'll always go along to, like I think Silicon Drinkabout's great and um, tend to frequent Google Campus quite a bit. But um, there are other events when you go in there and you just realise that, I hate to say it, it's a lot of people without companies kind of just wanting in on the scene in a way and, yeah, going for the lifestyle rather than the, the networking. Yeah, it's funny. We talked about that early on in the show that a lot of people want wanted to be part of a startup because it was kind of the rock star thing to do. Yeah. And then you realize your exit's going to be in seven to ten years. <laughs> yeah. And it's going to work for next to nothing yeah. for yeah. a good chunk of that. In, in an yeah. office sure. with rats in it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, or whatever you call developers. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but, uh, in confidence. Yeah. No, it's hard work. Um, you know, we had, a, we had a few people in here. We always talk about like the work day here in London. And we had yeah. a, one guy that said he leaves by example. Like he makes sure he leaves at six o'clock every yeah. night because he doesn't want to be the boss that's like you know why aren't you working all the time God, i'm awful at that but i yeah. don't force in fact i'm the boss who's always there until midnight but turns around at seven and goes for goodness sake go home you need to get some rest and then don't follow my own rules so um, so what is the fine line because you know the the, the yanks have a, a, a tendency to either overwork or tell people that they're overworking you know yeah. i would say the brits are the opposite some would say the germans are even worse as in they're like we're out of here it's it's six o'clock where, yeah. do you, where do you find SNAP is? I'm hoping I've got the balance right. Um, but that's one of the reasons that recruiting is really hard because you want people to realise that, oh, God, I'm about to say startup life. I hate that phrase. Just do it. Just do it. Hashtag startup life is um, <laughs> fairly full on, but you have kind of peaks and flows. So you need to be one of those people who can stay late in the office and kind of enjoy it and get in pizzas and find it exhilarating rather than finding it draining. So I think the balance is just finding the right character for the job rather than making sure that you're kind of mandating all of these rules. But Yeah, Davinia from, you know, Moshi Monsters, she mm. said, you know, ultimately it's a startup and you have to be passionate about the exactly. job and that means you are going to think about it in the shower. Yeah, yeah so, it's true. And yeah. if you're a founder, it is your life. And I never realized that when I first started Snap. I did it part-time and I thought it would be a hobby. And it's all-consuming and it's the best thing that I've ever done, but... It means that if you don't quite believe in it or you're slightly on the edge, it's quite a dangerous thing to get yourself into. Just thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll flip over the company and sell it for millions is not a normal reality. It's unlikely. Yeah, it's a yeah. losing situation. Anything I didn't yeah, touch on? Yeah, I'm curious. Is, you have a small team. Yeah. How do you, how do you motivate your, your uh, employees? Um, we took them to Beyonce this week, so there that was go. a good motivation. That's a big, that's so, a big it's, so it's bribing a good one. them with bribery always okay. works, um, and food is always good. But it, um, you know, do you, um, you know, share warrants and stuff like that for them down the road to, to yeah. earn in? Is that yeah? At the yeah. moment, we don't have a share options pool just because we've kept the investment quite small. But yeah. that's coming in when we raise Series A, so cool. that's definitely a motivator. Cool. Um, and I think just making sure it sounds awful but that you're kind of building their cvs at the same time that they're yeah. working there because everyone knows that if you're working for a startup it's not going to last forever yeah. like unless we end up being facebook which would be fairly cool um 
But yeah, I think it's all about making sure that they're doing the things that they enjoy and I always kind of take them to one side if I've given them a task and go like, is this one that you want to do or is there anything else you think would be better? And yeah. just making sure that you're kind of skilling them up as well as working them hard. No, that's good. No, that's really good. Um, Jenny, I always ask everyone that's, that's here the same question at the end. You might know this is coming, but I'm going to hit you with it. Um, if you could give a phone call to the 20-year-old Jenny Griffiths <laughs> six years ago and uh, give that girl a bit of advice, what would you tell her? Um, I would tell her to have a bit more faith in her own ideas and not take so long to start up the company that she was meant to do. Um, and I'd also say that to anyone, actually, success is all about working hard. And the more you put into something, the more you're going to get out of it. So I should have worked harder at university in the first couple of years. And yeah, I think it's all about just being really committed and sticking with stuff. That's a good quote. Um, on that same note, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good one. Um, it is just have utter belief in what you're saying and don't be the arrogant person who walks into the room and expects everyone to believe them, but learn how to stand your ground. If someone's telling you that your app is awful or that visual search isn't the future and they just think that you're wasting your time, which, believe it or not, people do say quite a lot to me, is just kind of not take it personally, but learn how to listen to criticism pick out the good stuff and then kind of try and shelf the other stuff and not really think about it too much. Good. I like that. And uh, finally, to the 20-year-old that's listening around the world, you know, in Singapore, who's going to use your app soon or, <laughs> or in California or anywhere, yeah. what advice do you give to them, say they do want to get into startup life? <laughs> <laughs> hashtag startup Hash- life. Hashtag use the hashtag life. on Twitter because everyone retweets it. Um, I say, um, oh, really? the case? yeah, seriously, you should try it. <laughs> Bumper of views that I've yeah. been using. That's it. my advice to a 20 year old to use hashtag starts of life everywhere. Um, I know it sounds really contrived because everyone is saying at the moment, but learn how to code. Because if I hadn't have learned how to code, then I would have had to go out, raise capital, test out my ideas, get a minimum viable product using other people. And you're so dependent on other people, even just developers giving you quotes. I've got the kind of knowledge to be able to say "Eh, I think you've underestimated that or I think you might be taking the mix slightly so learning how to code if you're going to start a digital business there's nothing more useful that you can do with your time right even if you're not going to do the coding you need to be able to look over their shoulder and make sure yeah I mean I try not to code anymore um I'm one of those people I come up with these grand algorithms on paper and then it takes me ages to code them myself so but just having a grasp of what you're asking your developers to do is so key And it also means that they respect you a bit more as well, just if you can kind of empathise with them and kind of throw out a few ideas now and again. I think it creates a really strong dynamic in your company. That's good advice. I think we've heard that a lot on this Mm. show. And I think it's so true. And it's funny, Jenny was kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, this is a bit, you're just back from San Francisco, you know, they had the gold rush in 1849. And, you know, who got rich? It was, you know, Levi Strauss that sold all the jeans and all the pots and pans. And everyone else was just speculating. But, you know, as this becomes more of a bull market and bigger and bigger, you're going to get, like you said, accountants, lawyers, everybody wants 5% here, 5% there. Some coder is going to quote you 30 grand for an app when you know it shouldn't cost you that. And then all of a sudden... Your life cycle, your company just got shut down in half. Yeah, exactly. By definition, statistically, you don't succeed. So yeah, you yeah, have to just be very wary. Don't yeah, you? and being able to wear lo- loads of different hats is just so key. So making sure that you've got not a really in-depth knowledge of everything, but just being able to kind of hold a conversation about finance and legal and all these different aspects, social marketing, and just being able to dip in and out, and also know your weaknesses and when you need to hire the right person to do it properly. 
And yeah. um, five years from now, where are you going to be sitting? Somewhere in San Francisco? What are you going to be looking at through the glass doors? Uh, you know, what, what's it going to be? I have a little empire by then, I hope. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm hoping that I'm kind of splitting my time between London and kind of San Francisco or New York um, and in a load of different verticals in visual search. So I'd love Snap to be kind of leading in fashion visual search and people naturally kind of... My dream is to hear someone looking at a dress in a shop window and going, oh, you should just snap it, and it being kind of a really natural behaviour. So that would be my dream. And a load of developers doing really cool stuff on computer vision R&D and really kind of pushing the barriers. That would be amazing. I like it. I like it. Pretty cool. Good. Great. Pretty awesome. cool story. Did I, did I miss yeah. that? Uh, how much longer until you have the men's snap fashion? Seriously, it's Ooh. discriminating. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Hurt my feelings. Um, it's going to be launching in the summer, hopefully. In the so, summer? Yeah. Perfect. Just in mission. time for the short season. Exactly. Yeah, there's apps we can't use. We can't use Datch. You know, we can't use Snap, snap right snap now. Snap. It's ridiculous. I know. We've got to get used to it. <laughs> Discrimination all over the place. I uh, I love this story. Um, you know, like I said, you were our first person for, for you know for fashion tech, but in a way, you're not really fashion tech. And so, I mean, you are, but you know, you're you're also going to be so much bigger. So it's kind of exciting to see this on the on the grounder floors, you know, and see where it's going to go. Yeah, so I have to pop back if it all goes well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. I'm, we're going to read about her in some huge acquisition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you you <laughs> seem like uh, a perfect sort of acquisition for for a big player to just get into the visual search. Yeah. As like an acuhire, I, I think it's uh, if you're out there. If you're yeah. meeting Jenny for the first time on Silicon Reel, you could just give us a one percent Bitcoin <laughs> finder's fee. Yeah. No one has to know. You Bitcoins. Know, we'll yeah, take Bitcoins. Yeah, just send to a Bitcoin, and, and it's all good. Yeah, it just <laughs> contributes to the to the general environment. So that was on that piece of paper you signed. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, um, Jenny. If people want to get in touch with you uh, personally, or yep. you mentioned the job uh, or Twitter, what's the best phone? Yep. Um, so I'm Jenny at snapfashion.co.uk. Um, everything comes through to me eventually. So even if you email omnishambles at snapfashion.co.uk, you will get through to me. Nice. Um, <laughs> Do I mention that? Take that, Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah, uh, well, yeah. She just hit us with the with the with the code word. Um, and do you actually respond to your emails? I really do. Yeah, okay. I've got four hundred in my inbox at the moment, but that's all going to change tomorrow. I've got emails on my Trello list, um, and I'm also um, fairly hot on Twitter. So I'm Jenny Snaptech, and then Snap Fashion is just at Snap Fashion. So. Okay. And the app is on iPhones now and coming to Android soon? It launched on Android last week. It so okay. yeah, we've got um, Snap Colourpop, which is like the really stable take photo of a colour, we'll find anything. And then you've got Snap Fashion, which is a bit more experimental and really kind of pushing the boundaries. So, so they're two separate apps? Yeah, that's okay. right. Yeah. Snap Colourpop and Snap Fashion. Yeah, that's right. On both snap platforms. Snap Colourpop. And then the website, obviously, you know as well. Snap Crackle Pop? That's that yeah, I did that without realising. Yeah. Weirdly enough, everyone thinks I'm the founder of Snapchat, so <laughs> I, I, I take too. that one once in a while. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you're so you're a billionaire. How does that yeah, feel? Apparently so. There we go. It's all good. <laughs> Probably just feels the same the next day. <laughs> Nothing changed. Um, that's fantastic. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can watch our, our beautiful faces on uh, YouTube channel Silicon Reel. Um, come follow us on Twitter at Silicon Reel. Yep. Uh, send us uh, messages. Hello at SiliconReel.com. Uh, it's you know people like you that suggest great guests like Jenny and everyone else. So. Yeah. Uh, Keep guest suggestions and, uh, yeah, interns keep helping out. Yeah, we've got great people cutting videos for us, yeah. making phone calls, um, and making all this Sorts happen. So. We're episode 36, and uh, we hope to keep going. So, yeah, all the help and spread the word. And 
Yeah. No, it's been a fantastic uh, venture. It's great. If you want to learn a bit about this industry, just watch 35 episodes of Silicon Real. You'll meet Benjamin Southworth, and you'll go from number 10 to Halo to Jenny, yeah. you know, to Datch to Digital Shadows. I mean, you can get a really a nice, you know snapshot of what's going on my first show i said what is a moshi monster and look at me now <laughs> now i say words like ux yeah you know when i'm hanging out with my friends so yeah it's all good um as we say on silicon reel it's about the people jenny you're one of them thanks so much for coming and Thank you. uh yeah wish you guys all the best thanks very much if you can actually get all the smartest people who want to build stuff to come together for six months when they graduate to give it a go I think there's some pretty exciting stuff that come up. You want to build stuff, like really build products that solve real problems, you know, that kind of use cutting-edge tech. What do you do? And that's kind of the question that EF wants to be the answer to. So what EF wants to say is if you are actually you know, truly brilliant, truly exceptional, you want to build stuff, but you maybe don't know what yet or with whom, EF is your answer. Focus relentlessly on doing one thing really, really, really well.